The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,280 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. I am Andy Zaltzman, and you join us just in time to hear a very exciting, and it must be said, somewhat amusingly surprising discovery about how to create world peace and end all human suffering. Sorry, no, you've missed it. You were, you were too slow. You should have tuned in earlier. Seriously, what was whatever you were doing in the last two minutes, Bugle, was really so important that it was worth missing that. That's what is wrong with this planet, you people, no offence. And don't try playing the show back, but starting earlier, you've had your chance. But welcome, nonetheless, to The Bugle. We're recording, as we uh, so often do yesterday, uh, or the day before that, or a while ago, uh, depending on when you're listening. Um, God, time is, is very confusing for me now. Uh, it's the 10th of November, uh, 2023, and joining me today... We have an absolute smorgasbord of hemispheres for you. Um, firstly, from the southern hemisphere, and now what well, I think a good seventy percent pregnant, so pretty much packing a bonus hemisphere herself. <laughs> it's Alice Fraser. Welcome, uh, welcome, Alice. I am. I am the hemisphere myself, Andy. <laughs> uh, how are you? I'm. Uh, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, I've. Um, well, I had a sort of week off from news, which has been, uh, well, a, a balm of. I'm not, not sure sanity is the right word, but, um, you know, an absence of pure insanity. Uh, so, yeah, I'm feeling a little refreshed. <laughs> I've been house hunting uh, in this small Queensland town that is going to be my home for the next uh, six months as I spawn. Um, and today I went to a place that was like a little outside the price bracket, maybe slightly too fancy. And it, uh, I, I walked in, and I was like, oh, no, this is way too fancy. It was like chandeliers and you know, really <laughs> ugly glass coffee tables and like a, a home cinema. And it was so disgusting and tasteless and just such a waste of wealth. And I was like, this is what you spent the earth on? Like, it was just <laughs> boomer, classless trash. And I, I was like, oh, man. Right. Good to know that that's what our children are going to be breathing smoke yes. for for the next couple of generations. So you've chosen not to live in a metaphor for human uh, human <laughs> idiocy. <laughs> um, joining us um, from the Southern Hemisphere, but now residing in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, very, very complicated. Welcome back uh, to James Nakise. James, great to have you back uh, on The Bugle. How have you been? Uh, good, Andy. Thank you for having me uh, for um, a happy Black Friday uh, oh, weekend. Oh, yeah. It's always it's always nice to be on the discount show. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you've uh, had a, a busy couple of months um, doing doing some stuff at the rugby rugby World Cup. How was uh, we've not really talked about that much on the on the bugle. Uh, actually, I don't know why. Maybe it's because as an Eng an English rugby fan, it would have just been. Yeah, we talk about the bleakness of humanity quite enough on the on the bugle without going into how England plays rugby. Um, so, how how was the whole experience for you? <laughs> well, I feel like with the the state of the world, I wouldn't be surprised if English rugby itself was diagnosed with ADHD after <laughs> the past few months. It's, uh, I I had a I had a really fun time because I went over to be a comedy reporter at at the Rugby World Cup and there was only five Pacific Island reporters, uh, <laughs> so I had to be a real reporter, and then. By the final press conference of Fiji and England, um, Fiji lost, and the other Fiji, uh, the other Pacific reporters went. Oh, we're just going to go have kava with the team. So suddenly, I was the only reporter <laughs> in the press conference. <laughs> which, if you go to my my Twitter profile, my banner is now me and uh, in the moment uh, with the cameras recording that I realise that I am alone with the British press pack. <laughs> 
Um, and also, I mean, during that, during the uh, the World Cup, well, not related to the World Cup, you also became the the voice and conscience of British train travel, um, which was uh, well, absolutely another uh, exciting new career direction for you. Thank you, Andy. Uh, like like most uh, Englishmen uh, dealing with uh, people from different cultures, you have brought back to light a trauma I had repressed. Um, <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I caught a train on my way back from the World Cup uh, to to Edinburgh uh, in London. Uh, rookie mistake. I hear the British <laughs> listeners cry. What catching a train to anywhere? <laughs> yeah, anywhere. Any interaction with British Rail just heard the the national tutting going on. I think it was fourteen hours in transit. Right. Uh, at the end of it, uh, featuring a uh, four four and a half hour cab ride. Uh, where the cab driver got lost in the hills of Scotland <laughs> in the middle of the night. Uh, so, yeah, it's, look, man, I'm having adventures. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm meeting people. I went to France. I don't even speak French. My, <laughs> my, my French would arguably get us all killed. <laughs> well, I had someone with a toddler. I've been teaching her that British trains go chugga, 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 whoop, whoops. <laughs> um. I mean, 14 hours of tutting. That's um, I mean that must have been that must have been pretty. I don't know if it, it, it if if the tuts kind of, come, if you've got a whole carriage of people tutting simultaneously, do, do, do they sort of harmonise with each other? So you get the sort of just for sake in Morse code tutted by eighty people at the same time. It's it's what I imagine sitting in Parliament would be like in the in the UK. <laughs> You're not really sure what's going on. You feel out of control, and there's just non-stop tutting for fourteen hours. You have to make sure the tutting is asynchronous because otherwise when you're going over a bridge, it can create a resonance and that's how the Tay Bridge disaster happened. <laughs> well, I think that might be the first Tay Bridge disaster reference we've had on the Bugle. I mean, there aren't not many. High five Oops. to my William McGonigal stands. <laughs> there aren't many niches of history that we've not uh, not touched on. But, um, where we going? Oh, we were oh. almost cool, Alice. We were talking about <laughs> sport and then you just pivoted. Pivot right into the dorkiness. Rail disasters. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are recording on Friday, the tenth of November, twenty twenty-three. It's amazing to think that in just a hundred years' time, it'll be one hundred and thirty-four years in a day since the Berlin Wall came down. The uh, controversial city and uh, an opinion-splitting barrier had been basically sacked as a wall at the age of just twenty-eight on the ninth of November, nineteen eighty-nine. A year better known, of course, for England losing the Ashes four-nil to a previously unfancied Australia. And it might have been a reverberatingly bad summer for English cricket, but arguably it was an even rougher few months for die-hard East European communists, as their dream of an eternally miserable future of disappointing cars, non-luxury food items and supersonic female athletes crumbled before their very eyes, culminating in Romania boss Nicky Ceausescu's impressive bid for Worst Christmas Ever Award. Uh, it was also um, a very bad summer for the comedy character act Iron Curtain. Uh, who's uh, highly amusing uh, musical satire on the failures of state communism, the hilarious daily pratfalls of Soviet oppression, and the pure, unadulterated joy of watching the women's 4x400 metre relay uh, found himself in uh, decreasing demand. Uh, on the 11th of November 1918, uh, well, that famously was Armistice Day that brought the First World War uh, to an end, presaging a solid, well, what was it now, about 8 to 12 minutes of uh, sweet, glorious global peace. It was signed at 5.45am, on the 11th of November, but only came into force at 11am, leaving just enough time for another 
2,700 soldiers to die even more futilely than the millions that had gone before them. And it is that kind of determination to kill each other when there is literally no point whatsoever that separates us from the other species who clog up our planet. That was 105 years ago tomorrow. As always, a section of this podcast is going straight in the bin this week. We have a Christmas section uh, in the bin. Might seem a bit early, but it's nearly mid-November now. And the Christmas adverts have started coming out. The John Lewis advert, um, which Britain gets bizarrely obsessed by on an annual basis, is out this week. And uh, John Lewis's uh, competitors, the retail behemoth Nodgers and Claystrop, have uh, once again (laughs) courted controversy with another controversially controversial Christmas advert. You might remember last year's... Nodgers and Claystrop ad uh, featured a trouserless Santa Claus twerking in front of the family Christmas tree to the sound of a grime cover version of John Denver's Country Roads while swinging the family's pet cat around his head and swigging from a bottle of absinthe. The situation, of course, was resolved when Santa presented uh, a weeping child with a Nodgers and Claystrop luxury velvet-covered toy cat to replace the family's now-deceased <laughs> pet and uh, some NNC own-brand wallpaper to cover over the blood splatter on the living room wall plus a couple of bottles of, uh, of own brand moonshine to make it up to mum and dad. And it finished with uh, Nodgers and Claystrop's renowned slogan, something for everyone, everywhere and every when. Well, this, uh, this year's advert <laughs> features an unusually graphic 17th century Christmas witch trial at which two terrified young children look longingly out of the window of their home to see their mother undergoing some extremely 17th century justice, seemingly dunked in the town pond and not emerging. Their growing panic assuaged only when Mum emerges from a secret trapdoor in the house, dripping wet, to be greeted by Dad with a bundle of Christmas gifts, a Nodgers and Claystrop plush toweling <laughs> dressing gown, some soothing, rejuvenating hand cream, that trial by fire could really sting, a new NNC artisan eucalyptus and palm leaf broomstick, and a multi-use home cauldron containing a ready-roasted turkey from the Nodgers and Claystrop food hall. Critics have claimed that the advert and specifically the slogan, Nodgers and Claystrop, for life's guilty pleasures, are misogynistic. We'll let you be the judge of that. Um, Anyway, that section is in the bin. I mean, Andy, you've just expressed the dream of every corporation, uh, had they a soul or a REM sleep cycle, which has become synonymous with a holiday. Uh, I I don't think people are really aware of their history, but it's marked by such failed holidays as Trojan condoms attempt at a Yule log (laughs) fest. (laughs) (laughs) well Uh, that's a combination of words i don't think anyone was really prepared for (laughs) top story this week echoes of history Uh, it turns out that maximus uh, decimus meridius was right the uh, fictional roman warrior pugilist vengeance specialist and public entertainer famously said what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Now, he wasn't merely trying to convince his soldiers that being hacked to death in a forest in Germany in an uh, early 20th century film was a fun way to spend an afternoon. He was actually telling the truth, as proved by the world in November 2023. And we start our Echoes of History section with old empire powers nearly apologising for the horrors of empire news. Um, and, I mean, this is something that, you know, as a British person is you know something that crops up in the news every now and again the intermittent near apologies that britain just about forces out into into the world we had another one uh, over the uh, uh, last week um king charles kc3 himself uh into his second year of kinging now the king um and uh, he almost apologized for colonial abuses in kenya 
Um, now, I don't know quite what it's going to take to tip Britain over the edge into an actual apology. We also had the German president asking for forgiveness uh, in, in Tanzania uh, over the last week as well. I mean, how, at what point is an actual full sorry going to be uh, going to be given ever? Do you think? Generally, it's uh, uh, around the time that they opened the checkbook. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's when it's when the apology is is accepted. It's like we're very sorry for how many, how many did we take? <laughs> right, okay. I guess there's extra zero for that. I do. I do. I do think the Germany though trying to like sneak an apology to any other culture in the middle of an Israeli war is kind of just it feels like it's trying to sneak it in uh, you know just just like hey don't look but by the way we also fucked up Tanzania. <laughs> well, I mean King Charles said he wanted to deepen his understanding of colonial wrongs perpetrated by the British Empire on a state visit. Uh this week he was in Kenya and and that raises for me the question of what actually they teach you in King's School, if it's not <laughs> what British colonies got up to, uh, what the, the the stuff you did when you were owning the world. And he, he like I thought it was actually quite when I was reading it, I, I thought it was quite a good sort of apology because he he said lots of things, you know, the wrongdoings of the past are the cause of great sorrow and deep regret. And I was really like rating it as an apology. If somebody said that to me as an apology, I would I would take it. And then I heard the apology that the Germans gave to the uh, Tanzanians and I was like, ah yes, the experts in apologizing. <laughs> but also like, Germans apologising for anything has just got to be a step down from the biggest apology they had to do. Like, I feel like they've got more practice. <laughs> um, what, what interested me was in both uh, the British and German uh, near apologies contained the term shared history. And, <laughs> I mean, that is stretching the meaning of the word share really way past its uh, point of maximum elasticity. I think. I mean, sh sharing, sharing is generally. Am I, am I am I mistaken? This is sort of a two-way process. I mean, I'm not sure we quite shared history, did we? I mean, no, you you, can... I mean, remember that lovely shared punch we had. <laughs> sure, we invaded you, but you had to be there to be invaded. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, he did. Uh, it, it was un unusually direct by British standards. Um, I mean, you think back to when David Cameron was Prime Minister, and um, he not only didn't apologise for for the uh, for, for, for the various glitches. I think it was, he was. I can't remember if it was in India or Pakistan. But he was talking about the the Kohinoor diamond, and said he wouldn't give it back because he didn't believe in returnism. So not only will we not apologise, but we will also <laughs> invent completely new terms to justify our lack of apology. That is how far we're prepared uh, to go. But Look, he did, I um, would return. I would return it, but the store policy said two weeks, and it's been <laughs> centuries. <been> years. <laughs> I think um, the thing with Charles is that he's. It's like what Ella said. He's. We we act like oh he's just he just got here though he's just he's a new king it's like yeah but he's also seventy four years old <laughs> he's not like the young king Charles just finding his feet as he goes around the colonies <laughs> like um, you know what happened but he's, he's, he's not finding his... his feet we all know where their feet are they're in their mouths <laughs> yeah he's you his... killed your ex wife for this mate you're ready <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> 
He's in his second year of kinging now, um, uh, Prince Charles. Doesn't seem to have been sent anything particularly victorious. Seldom looks uh, happy. And it's quite hard to be glorious at the best of times when you're in your mid-70s. And essentially you're a constitutional Ron Burgundy obliged to read out whatever's plonked in front of you. So I don't know if our national anthem is working on him quite as well as it worked on his mummy. But um, but he's kinging it up to the best of best of his uh, abilities. This was I mean, interesting. He said, wrongdoings of the past are a cause of the greatest sorrow and the deepest uh, deepest regret um and well as you as you sort of hinted at um not quite enough sorrow and regret to ever include them on our um national history curriculum well, certainly not when i was a, a child but um but anyway we're making progress we're we're almost getting to the s of sorry like the b of bang if you've, you've got to withdraw your apology on the s of sorry <laughs> Uh, the um, German president, Frank Walter Steinmeier in Tanzania, um, asked for forgiveness, uh, particularly with, re- with uh, relating to a brutal suppression of a early 20th century rebellion that resulted in more than 300,000 deaths. And he, he said, uh, what happened here is our shared history. Uh, <laughs> again, that's, that's not sharing is caring. Let's not forget that. That's n- not particularly caring uh, by the sounds of it. He also talks about colonial amnesia. Um, and I guess it's like childbirth, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you just have to forget the atrocities you perpetrated in uh, previous <laughs> generations. Otherwise, there's no way you try to exploit the world again. It's just, it's just, just, nat- just nature. <laughs> I think it's a good remedy for imposter syndrome if you read a bit of colonial history and you just think like some idiot got sent somewhere and killed half a million people because they were incompetent at their job. It does. It makes me feel much more confident about submitting a spec script. <laughs> My my favorite part of the German uh, chancellor is that I want to assure you, we Germans will search with you for answers to the unanswered questions that give you no peace, which is him colonizing the healing process <laughs> of a country that he colonized. <laughs> They've got the answers, mate. All you need to do is ask them what the answers are. <laughs> As well as uh, state near apologies, uh, Lloyd's of London, the uh, the insurance house founded in uh, 1688, uh, has been accused of reparations washing uh, after uh, responding to a, a review into its links with the the slave trade. Um, again, I mean, history. I mean, this is something we 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 talk about quite a lot on the bugle, and something that is constantly uh, rammed in our faces as um, humans. Essentially, history was unfortunately absolutely jam packed with, <laughs> and uh, it's just something that that just keeps keeps coming back to us uh, with stories like this. Lloyd's commissioned academics to do research into its uh, shady past, you know, due credit to Lloyd's for doing that, I assume under extreme pressure. Um, 18 months of research found out that Lloyd's had insured the largest slave ship owners in the early 1800s, used their personal experience with enslavement to work within the slave trade, facilitated relationships between slave slave ship captains, ship owners, insurance underwriters, and actively protested against abolition. Uh, The the research did not aim to quantify the financial wealth that Lloyd's made uh, through the slave trade, though I imagine that would have been quite easy to find out. Uh, I can also see the incentives for them not to find out. Um, Lloyd's has formally apologised and said it's committing 
£52 million towards a programme of initiatives, including those that will help people from black and ethnically diverse backgrounds to participate and progress from the classroom to the boardroom, which is a lovely promise to people of diverse backgrounds. Now you too can perpetuate the wrongs uh, that are (laughs) facilitated by corporate greed. Like if you're inside the system, you can help make sure that the next demographic group we absolutely profit from the oppression of is not yours. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's a system of a corporation that lets people diffuse responsibility for atrocities through the abstraction of a profit margin uh, that promotes monsters into power and leaves them there because they're good for the bottom line. I, I think it's a really nice promise that people of ethnically diverse backgrounds can share in <laughs> those atrocities, <laughs> you know, but it, you know, just the way that you can like share responsibility across a corporation so that you can sleep at night because you've only perpetrated one one thousandth of a war crimelet. <laughs> I feel like they're missing the point here by well, focusing on uh, ethnic diversity in corporate greed because <laughs> I feel like human <laughs> is melanin agnostic and the only real diversity I'm interested in seeing at Lloyd's is a diversity of opinion about whether actually money should be the primary metric for human success or maybe it should be something like not profiting from the enslavement of others. <laughs> the £52 million pounds, uh, programme of initiatives. I mean, again, it's one of these, £52 million, pounds, that's, that's a lot of money to, to, to you or me. Um, um, maybe, maybe not to, to James after uh, all the money's cre- creaming off the uh, the railway industry now uh, to buy his silence for f- for future wrongs. Um, but uh, Lloyd, uh, Lloyd's- no, 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 Andy, I've, I've got a, I've got a promise for they, they're going to set up a committee to investigate <laughs> what happens and see if there's anything that can be done to educate future generations about <laughs> British travel. Um. But the uh, Lloyd's, uh, I mean, it made a big loss in 2022, around about 800 million. But it made a profit of 2.3 billion the year before. So that's still one and a half billion up over those two years. So 52 million, I mean, that's not a huge amount. Uh, That basically still leaves them with one and a half billion of the one and a half billion that that they made in 2021 and 22. So maybe they could find a little bit more um, to. uh, to, to, to put towards these things yes but andy these are the these are just the british slaves oh they got slaves all around the world they've helped with that they gotta they gotta dish it out to now we've already got like educational get-togethers from different diversities that help us figure out each other's trauma it's called fringe festivals <laughs> and there's so many around the world that they gotta throw 52 million here 52 million there <laughs> i'm just i'm just amazed that they are shocked by this. You were an insurance company in the 1600s. What did you think was going to come out of this report? Why did you not have more money prepared for the eventual shitstorm of people checking the records that you kept? <laughs> like That's how they find out that you had dealings with slave owners and insured slaving shit. You're an insurance company. They checked your... F- records <laughs> also i mean beyond that uh james i was reading the, the, the article now a ledger from 1807 showed that one underwriter uh insured about a third of all known slave ship voyages that left england and his name was horatio claggett and when you find a name like horatio claggett <laughs> in the past it's best leave that well alone nothing good can possibly come out of investigating someone called horatio claggett 
But again, if you check your list of former employees and a Charles Dickens villain shows up, <laughs> surely you go, we better add another zero to the millions we're preparing to get. In uh, other echoes from history uh, news, well, the Middle East is, uh, well, pretty much nothing but echoes from history, uh, it seems. But it's going futuristic at the moment. Israel used its Arrow missile defence system um, to shoot down a ballistic missile um, blasted off by the Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. And it hit it outside the Earth's atmosphere in what is being claimed to be the first combat ever to take place in space. Uh, that, of course, is ignoring the uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, little uh, me first, no me first, no me first, no me. I've written a special speech. Look at me. I'm a buzzy, buzzy <laughs> bee. Sorry, Buzz. We're going with my version. Hey, Buzz, look over there. Got you one small step uh, squabble. Um, also, it's ignoring Moonraker, Star Wars and countless other documentaries about um, combat in space. <laughs> but even so, this is a very exciting new development. Alice, I know you're a huge fan of uh, technological progress in, uh, in, in war zones. At last, Andy, one step closer to space atrocities. One small <laughs> arrow missile defence system deployment for man, one giant step towards full-on space war for mankind. <laughs> now, at last, children can look at the night sky and after asking, Daddy, is that a star of, or one of Elon Musk's 12,000 orbiting Starlink satellites? They can dream of a future where they can set foot on the moon and shoot someone they've never met right in the face <laughs> for... King Country Incorporation. I, I think it's a beautiful thing, Andy. It's a beautiful thing. We always see uh, technological progress in, in any war. And, and eventually, I mean, this is one of the brilliant things about war um, as a human hobby, is these things trickle down into civilian life and make everything worthwhile. So, I mean, could this lead to, you know, you know the same technology being used for ballistic space-based global delivery systems so that, you know, if I want a new set of Patagonian pencils, they could be blasted to me direct from South America in under an hour using the technology that only war has fostered. Well, I mean, and these things feed back into each other. I have a very attractive friend and she can shoot a man down in a bar from space. So... <laughs> But it's amazing to think just five or six hundred years ago we were still hacking each other to pieces with swords and axes and now we're playing high-octane space snooker. I mean, I think that tells us tells you a lot about uh, about our species. Uh, J James, what, what would be the next technological advance you'd like to see in uh, uh, humanities, um, in humanity to each other? I'd just like something to stop the junk mail uh, getting, getting through. Right. Um, because I've tried the tape on the letterbox, uh, that says no junk mail. Uh, I've tried putting up a sign. Um, I've tried standing in the doorway, uh, and putting my best Scottish accent on to say, <laughs> do you speak English? Can you read no junk mail? And it's still getting through. Right. Um, so maybe missiles is the next step. Okay. I do want to just give a quick shout out to Mike Rothschild, the Jewish writer in America, who has a book called Jewish Space Lasers uh, and Other Conspiracy Theories About My Family. Uh, thoughts and prayers, Mike. This is not going to help. Uh, <laughs> this is definitely definitely going to make you have a very bad month. It's a very funny book. I'm sorry that they've come up and cut you off at the knees, so to speak. In uh, other news related to the, uh, the Middle East uh, crisis, um, the United Nations has hired an AI company to fix absolutely everything to do with the Middle East, if I may overstate things uh, massively. 
Um, a company called Culture Pulse, which I mean, I think we should be suspicious of just from its name, um, is has been uh, hired to uh, sort of simulate scenarios. Now, uh, a chap called F. Laron Schultz uh, from Culture Pulse has stressed he is not claiming that his AI can fix the Middle East and. I mean, that, that's good. I mean, there is not a computer big and clever enough to untangle that particular nuclear Jeroboam of worms. Um, he says that the key is that the model is not designed to resolve the situation, it's to understand, analyse and get insights into implementing policies and communication strategies. Now, this in itself is a bit of a concern and surely a huge misunderstanding of the situation because, I mean, the dangers of understanding, analysis and insight um, politically... I mean, that, that, that little triumvirate of expertise is an absolute no-go area, is it not? I mean, that's, that's fundamental to this crisis. Well, also the idea that you can solve uh, the problems in the Middle East right now by understanding the history of the Middle East, uh, I feel, has been well and truly uh, disproven by the history of the Middle East. I feel like the more history there is in the Middle East, the more likely things are to go uh, kablooey. Uh, also... <laughs> feeding in all of the data about what people have done to each other in that particular region of the world into an AI sounds like a plan that is exactly how you would train a real artificial intelligence to write humanity off as a species. <laughs> well, I mean, well, humans have been struggling with, with the region since uh, 6,000 years ago, give or take, when uh, God, at the end of a no-doubt stressful, hectic week, probably on about three or four hours sleep a night, and let's be honest, he was no Margaret Thatcher, um, frankly left the place in a mess from which is never fully recovered so um if ai can step into the uh the, the gaps that god left maybe it's worth a go i mean the weird part's going to be when the ai starts spinning the rainbow carousel uh, around while processing <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on to a country that lives in the constant echoes of history, the UK now, and, uh, well, more, uh, another exciting chapter in the decline and fall of this country, with uh, Suella Braverman, the um, Home Secretary, um, and I, I need to check this as we record that she's not yet been, been sacked. Um, <laughs> still still not sacked, um, for whatever reason. Um, has been, well, once again... Um, rubbing her patented brand of uh, chilli-infused vinegar into the social wounds of this country. Uh, let's start with her claim uh, over the weekend that uh, homelessness is essentially a lifestyle choice. Um, she was uh, apparently uh, has plans to crack down on people sleeping on the streets, uh, but in tents, these luxury-demanding snowflakes wanting not just to use our cold, icy British pavements, but to have a flimsy sheet of fabric between them and the damply bone-chilling darkness of winter. People want it all these days. Uh, but she wants to clamp down on this. Uh, she said uh, on X, formerly X, formerly Twitter, formerly before that, just Twitter, she X'd, the British people are compassionate, without the hashtag, uh, hashtag not all Brits, which I think was very much needed there. Uh, she said, we will always support those who are genuinely homeless. The stats don't entirely back that up. And she said, but we cannot allow our streets to be taken over by rows of tents occupied by people, many of them from abroad, living on the streets as a lifestyle choice. Now, we all make lifestyle choices. Maybe we go to yoga classes, we drink smoothies rather than coffee. We cut down on overtime to boost our work-life balance if that option is open to us. We cut down on sugary foods. We take up knitting or martial arts or a combination of the two. Or we choose to sleep in a tent through the British winter. I mean... These are all peas in a in a lifestyle pod, are they not? Yeah, 
yeah, the the basic boomer interior decor luxe place that I inspected earlier today with its like horrendous reflective glass surfaces. <laughs> That's a lifestyle choice, Andy. I don't think desperately looking for a place to sleep and something to eat counts. Um except insofar as it's a not dying lifestyle choice. <laughs> <laughs> um it's uh I mean, it, it, it's quite hard to understand what, if, if anything... I mean, the, the, the mental processes of Asuela Braverman, um, because she was criticised not just by homeless charities uh, or by not just by opposition politicians, but also by conservative politicians and also by anyone with an even partially conscious brain as well as by dogs, squirrels, snails, amoebas, turnips and even inanimate objects such as benches and even tents have criticised uh, Braverman for this, despite the uh, the extra... Um, media attention that tents have been getting as a result. Uh, it's, I mean, all countries have politicians that that make them squirm with embarrassment. But I think Braverman is, I mean, right up there at the moment in terms of the most idiotically provocative in the world. Well, I think it's a it's a testament to the politics of what country you're in, Andy. Because in in Britain, of course, you go this politician is deranged and. In the United States, you go, well, they're probably running for the Republican candidacy. It's My favorite part is the quote just, just after the part you read where she references the states and goes, unless we stop this, British cities will go the way of places in the U.S. like San Francisco and Los Angeles. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> not the... Not the two coolest ones. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, people are having sex and some of them are having orgasms. <laughs> yeah, not the centre of technological advancement and the centre of cultural advancement in the modern Western world. No, no. That's not British. We don't want that. You know, I, I slept on the streets of London uh, about 14 years ago, which was a particularly rough couple of weeks. And I'd love to blame the Tories. Uh, I mean, I, partially I, I do because we were using the same Coke dealer. And, <laughs> uh, in some ways, you could say it was a choice, although addiction, it's a different discussion. But I would say it's my Brits have a very strange understanding, I think, of homelessness uh, and, and sleeping on the streets. My mum, uh, when she found out, bought me as a Christmas gift um, Down and Out in Paris by George Orwell. I, I, I would say that I think if, if Suella Braverman, I know she's the funny one in the family. Suella, if, if she really wants to understand homelessness, I think she should just sleep in a tent um, outside number 10. Uh, and and just haunt Rishi Sunak. And if she wants to really get into the, the whole method of it, maybe put a little cauldron uh, outside, uh, get a couple of cats to walk past, um, sacrifice a couple of junior Tory bench members. You know. I think that's already happened, to be honest. There's a number that you don't see anymore, whether that's to do with, uh, with impending court cases or ritual sacrifice. We just don't know. We'll let history be the judge of that. Do you I think mean, she's trying to get is... fired? <laughs> well, so, yeah. So, I mean, this is this is so. Following on from these comments about homelessness, she wrote an article in the Times, and you know, sometimes when you tweet something, you might do it in the heat of the moment, or when you say something in an interview, you might not use the exact words that you want. But in a written article, you have chosen the exact uh, that exact wording, and she wrote an article in the in the Times in which, as Home Secretary, she basically completely undermined 
the Metropolitan uh, Police. I think this is further proof that Bravman is unhinged. She's fueling hatred and division. She is wholly offensive and ignorant. She's igniting community ten- uh, tensions. And fundamentally, she is stupid. Now, those are not my <laughs> words. Those were all words of figures from within the Conservative Party. So that, I mean, that is the extent to which Braverman is finding more barrels to blast through the bottom of. She is now too much for the Tories. As a complete tangent, uh, James, I was in, uh, I was walking past a crystal shop in the small coastal <laughs> Queensland town that I'm currently uh, inhabiting, and I, I heard a lady very seriously say to another lady, uh, witchcraft is an art and not a science. Um, <laughs> And it took all of the strength in my extremely tired body not to say, it's a craft, lady, it's in the name. (laughs) Um, But Sunak, there's been various suggestions that Bravman is now being so deliberately provocative that she's trying to get sacked and make herself the sort of the the hero of the Tory right and and thus put herself in position to be the next next Tory leader because, as we've discussed on this show and we saw with Liz Truss last year, the leader of the Conservatives is not chosen by real democracy, it's chosen by asking around about 80,000 mad people who the maddest candidate is. (laughs) Um, um, But it's put Rishi Sunak in a tricky position. Either he doesn't sack her and looks weak or he does sack her and looks weak and he's going for the middle ground of potentially maybe sacking her. Uh, and it all raises the question, why the f*** was she there in the first place? <laughs> well, he definitely looks like he's the sub in any relationship. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where Britain's Prime Minister is right now. <laughs> you mean, you elected, like, the dude who looks like he was the biggest Harry Potter fan <laughs> in the world, right up until they told him to put his toys down because he's the British Prime Minister. <laughs> I mean, Labour is saying that uh, Braverman should be sacked uh, because of this growing backlash about her attack on the Metropolitan Police. And I, you expect that from Labour, but I do think it's like a bright light of uh, rare bipartisanship at this moment of politics that uh, Labour and the Tories can agree that she's a dangerous maniac. <laughs> Um, on the subject of dangerous maniacs, um, uh, former uh, number ten incumbent Boris Johnson um, has. Uh, well, we've been having the the, uh, the public inquiry into how the government dealt with uh, the COVID uh, crisis, and um, it's emerged that he had offered to be injected with COVID live on national television when he was. And he knows what the people want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I guess there's nothing about Boris Johnson that can surprise us if we've followed his career as, 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 as we have. He's a man with a track record of hiding in fridges when the going got not so much tough, but in, involving some moderate um, journalistic questioning. I mean, nothing that he did as Prime Minister really should should surprise us. But, I mean, being injected with with an illness on on television, I mean, I guess, you know, he knew that we were all getting a bit bored in lockdown and just wanted stuff to watch. But, is I mean, was that was that the right thing to do? Well, I mean, look, again, first of all, man of the people knows what the people want. Second of all, he's not, you know, being injected with a dangerous disease. He's not asking anything of the mothers of his 18 children that he wouldn't ask of himself. (laughs) I'm suggesting that he's the dangerous illness that's been injected into those ladies. Look, you can put the joke together for yourself. I'm tired. It's hot. (laughs) At least he didn't make them do it live on television. I don't know. Something. 
that that may be coming. Uh, he's got a new show. Doesn't he? Is he got a show coming up on GB News? He does. Has um... <laughs> he got a show? Has <laughs> he got a show? Isn't he meant to go to court? Aren't you putting him on trial for stuff? How does he get a fucking show? <laughs> well, so. If the world has learned anything recently, it's that politicians being on trial need not interrupt their careers. Well, maybe that's what Sorella's doing. She's just pivoting to some reality TV show where she goes around being a to the homeless. <laughs> Food news now, and uh, James, you are our Michelin-starred restaurants uh, correspondent, and um, you've brought to our attention a story about a Michelin-starred restaurant in uh, in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, that has had to uh, had to announce its closure uh, because everything has become too expensive. It's thank you, Andy. Uh, like many comedians, I've stolen food from the bins of many a restaurant. <laughs> Uh, after a gig over the years uh, and one uh, in Belfast um, that's in Northern Ireland uh, not Connecticut um, is closing uh, due to the uh, very expected result of becoming too expensive uh, not just for customers uh, but also for themselves it's a it's a combination of um, you know COVID and a cost of living crisis and uh, all the other things that the, the Tories are completely ignoring um, which has meant that they're going to have to shut down their restaurant as it is uh, because the costs have just spiraled out of control and it's now about a hundred pounds uh, just to get a tasting menu going, which isn't that much to the proper rich restaurant connoisseurs who are listening to the bugle, um, the <laughs> champagne socialist group. <laughs> uh, but uh, it is quite a lot, apparently, uh, to the people of Belfast. And I don't know if you know anything about the history of uh, class warfare in Belfast, Andy, uh, but it can get a bit prickly if your restaurant gets too expensive. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's a, obviously a, a, a big concern, though. The restaurant industry has been struggling over the last uh, few years. And, um, um, well, the um, celebrity, American celebrity chef, Scluton Malvane, has, uh, well, he's also struggling with uh, with these issues of costs. And he's uh, announced the opening of the uh, the Percept, which is a new high-end, non-physical fine dining emporium where customers are told <laughs> the idea of the dish but not given any actual food, um, thus saving money on ingredients, uh, kitchen equipment and any staff uh, to cook the food amongst the uh, dishes on the menu at Percept include a hint of halibut cuddled in a memoir of zucchini served to an ambiance of cockled chimeras and uh, for dessert a hallucinata of pipe dreamt phantasmagorgonzola with a mind pickled mirage of bequi <laughs> wraiths and figgy figments so um, I, mean, I guess that's one way around it just not, not have any actual food in a restaurant Well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's Bugle. Uh, next week, we will look back on the uh, American elections and uh, have an update on the latest from the, uh, well, court cases that are currently um, spicing up American politics as we are now, what, less than a year away from the presidential election uh, next year. Uh, I have something to plug. We have a Bugle live tour in March next year uh, around um, the United Kingdom. Uh, not all parts of the United Kingdom, but quite a lot of parts of the United Kingdom. We are in Glasgow, Norwich, Cambridge, Birmingham, uh, Coventry, or the Warwick Art Centre, which I think is technically Leamington Spa. It's sort of in the middle of nowhere, but anyway, find out where it is. Uh, Leeds, Edinburgh and Salford. There's also a date in London on the 8th of June next year. 
Uh, details are available uh, via the Bugle website. Chris, anything to add to that? That was actually pretty smooth, Andy. Uh, yes. Yeah, oh, so, thank you. So I, for, for once, nothing to add. All right, there we go. So do buy your ticket. I mean, uh, the ideal Christmas present for uh, anyone is a ticket to see uh, one of those Bugle uh, Bugle live shows. Do come along. Uh, James, what do you have to plug? Uh, I have a rugby podcast, uh, if you're curious how it ended up at the international <laughs> tournament. Uh, it's called Fair Game, Pacific Rugby Against the World, and it's all about uh, the interactions of politics between world rugby and the Pacific. Alice? Um, Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. I do a weekly writers meeting, among other things, which is now twice a week because it's uh, so popular and I have still not brought myself to charge any money for it. So you can get that for a dollar a month. You can get two... <laughs> Weekly writers' meetings. <laughs> I'm not good at business. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you've been hanging around the bugle for too long, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Also, I have a, a podcast called The Gargle, which is the sister podcast to this podcast. It is the sonic glossy magazine to this bugle's audio newspaper for a visual world. So uh, if you like listening to this podcast, but don't like politics i it's i mean it's a it's a weird niche. i mean i'm on i'm on this week's episode so if you like listening to this podcast but yeah hey andy <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> well that, that is a key demographic in our listenership <laughs> um yeah, if you want to support both the gargle and the bugle and join our voluntary subscription scheme go to the buglepodcast.com and click the donate button and our premium-level voluntary subscribers now get access to an exclusive monthly Ask Andy show. We are recording the second of these uh, next week, so that will be available shortly. Uh, yes, that's it. We'll be back next week. Until then, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.